1: Good Friday morning, everyone. We are so glad you're with us. We are live in Washington, D.C. this morning. Don has a day off. And moments ago, a wonderful thing happened. WNBA star Brittany Griner has landed on U.S. soil. She is finally home after her release from a Russian prison. We are live on the tarmac in San Antonio.
2: Plus, there is major breaking news this morning, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema with a big announcement that is going to impact Congress and President Biden's agenda. Hear what she revealed to our CNN's Jake Tapper in just a few moments.
1: But we do begin with these just dramatic pictures from Texas this morning, Brittany Griner arriving back in the United States moments ago. Her 10-month ordeal after being detained in Russia is finally over. The Biden administration securing her release in a one-for-one prisoner exchange with international arms dealer Victor Boot. Our Rosa Flores is live on the ground in San Antonio. Rosie, you were there for the moment that it happened.
3: You know, it was quite the moment, Poppy. Now you what you can see in the background is exactly what we saw. We wanna you we want you to see these pictures because this is Brittany Greiner coming home for the first time, as you mentioned, after 10 months of being detained in a Russian prison. Now, from what we could see, we could see that she was wearing the beanie and the red coat that uh, she appeared to be wearing in that Russian TV video that was released by Russian TV. Um, what we could see from here was her uh, landing on this plane. There were several officials that went into the plane first. A few minutes later, then she uh de-boarded the plane and we couldn't see anybody greet her from where we were. Uh, Our cameras couldn't capture that. What we could see was Brittany Griner walking into a hangar. Um, Officials have been tight-lipped about exactly who was going to greet her, what was going to happen exactly after. What we do know from officials is that she will be taken to a medical facility for evaluation now while officials are not saying much we know that uh, trevor Reed just went through this process and his family did share with cnn that he went through a reintegration program and if you just do a little research the gold standard program for reintegration from the department of defense is right here in san antonio texas and so uh, poppy that's what we're expecting will happen next but again this moment we we we, we can't say enough like this is the first time that Brittany griner is is back on U.S. soil. She's a Texan, a Texan. She's a Texas native. She landed here in the Lone Star State just moments ago.
1: Yeah, so glad you were there to capture it all for us, Rosa. What a great day for her and her family. Thank you. All right.
2: We have major, major breaking news this morning. It's kind of hard to overstate just how significant this is. A stunning moment for the balance of power in the Senate. Kirsten Sinema is leaving the Democratic Party. The Arizona senator says that she has registered as an independent an announcement that comes just three days after Democrats secured that 51-49 Senate with Senator Raphael Warnock's reelection in Georgia. Before we discuss what this means, what it's going to mean for President Biden, for Senate Democrats, we want you to hear from Senator Sinema directly on why she's taking this step and why she's taking it now. This is what she told CNN's Jake Tapper in a television exclusive.
4: You're here to make a significant announcement.
2: I've
5: registered as an Arizona independent. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other, and so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done.
4: So your voting record is pretty, capital D, Democratic. I mean, your views are generally that of a moderate centrist Democrat. How does leaving the party change how you do your job?
5: Well, I don't think anything will change about how I do my job. Arizonans sent me to the United States Senate to be an independent voice for our state, and I'll continue doing that. What I think is important about this decision and, and this move is that I'll be able to show up to work every day as an independent and not be, you know, stuck into one party's demands of following without thinking. And, and as we've seen in recent years, both parties have created this uh, kind of requirement or a pull towards the edges that you just unthinkingly support all of one party's viewpoints. It's made it difficult to find folks who are willing to work together and solve problems. Now, as you know, Jake, we've been able to do a lot of bipartisan work over the last couple of years, and I'm incredibly proud of that. And I think it's important for folks across my state and, and frankly across the country to say, yep, there's someone, there's someone that's kind of like me, doesn't fit neatly into one box or the other, but is standing up for their values, for what they believe in, and is doing it without trying to get one over on the other party or beat the other guy.
4: So let's talk about practically what this means because you're the chair of at least two subcommittees. You're a member of a number of important committees, including Veterans Affairs. Uh, does this mean that you're no longer going to be in those positions because you're no longer a Democrat and the Democrats control the Senate?
5: Well, I intend to maintain my position on my committees and keep doing the work that I've been doing for Arizona. So I don't think that things will change in terms of how I operate or the work that I do in the United States Senate.
4: So uh, ever since uh, Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, was reelected earlier this week, the balance of power right now is 51 Democrats or 51 votes for the Democratic Party. That includes two independents, Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, but that's 51-49. What you're doing today doesn't change that? It's still basically going to be 51-49?
5: Well, I know you have to ask that question, Jake, but that's kind of a DC thing to worry about. What I'm really focused on is just making sure that I'm doing what I think comports with my values and the values of Arizonans. So when I come to work each day, it'll be the same. I'm going to still come to work and hopefully, serve on uh, the same committees I've been serving on and continue to work well with my colleagues of both political parties. And I'm not really spending much time worrying about what the mechanics look like for Washington, D.C. And to be honest, Jake, I don't think anyone in Arizona is caring about that either. Um, So I don't think things will change much for me, and I don't think things will change much for Arizonans.
4: It's also an unusual time because the Democrats in Washington feel really good right now. Um, They actually picked up a Senate seat uh, and picked up some governor seats. It's the first time the, the party that controls the White House actually gained Senate and governor seats uh, since 1934. Uh, the wave that was supposed to come, the red wave didn't actually happen. Kevin McCarthy or the Republicans, maybe Kevin McCarthy will be the speaker, but either way, the Republicans will control the House, but not with the margins they were expecting. Um, this is gonna disappoint a lot of Democrats and they're also gonna feel Like they don't understand, why would you do this at a time when the Democratic Party is having a good week?
5: Well, I think folks at home in Arizona have known me for a very long time, and they know who I am. I've always been someone who is focused on getting results, getting things done, and I've never fit neatly into any party box. I've never really tried. I don't want to. And I think that's reflective of how most Arizonans live, you know? Arizonans who aren't affiliated with either party are often the largest group of voters in Arizona. And even those who are affiliated with parties often find that they don't fit 100% into that box. The reality is, is that when we get up in the morning, we don't really think about partisanship. Most people don't wake up and think, okay, well, I've you know gotta get this Democratic breakfast on the table, I gotta get in my Republican car and go to work. That's not how real life is. I, I know it is in this town. But in the rest of the country, people are just living their lives. And so they're not thinking about who's winning and who's losing, but that's what the parties are thinking about, is how do we get one over on this guy? How do we you know, ensure that we're punishing them? How do we continue to win? And what I'm really focused on, and I think the proof is in the pudding of the work I've done in the Senate, I'm really focused on getting results, like actually solving problems. And so, you know, removing myself from the partisan structure, not only is it true to who I am and how I operate, I also think it'll provide a place of belonging for many folks across the state and the country who also are tired of the partisanship.
4: Well, there's gonna be a lot of noise about this from the Democrats, from progressives, from the left. Uh, You know this, um, that um, because of your position working with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia to push back on some of the efforts, the legislative efforts, and and change them and moderate them. You've already been a a target of the left, and people have been very critical of you. They're gonna call you every name in the book after this comes out, they're gonna call you a traitor, they're gonna call you an ingrate, what are you gonna say?
6: Well,
5: I think I'll do what I always do, Jake, which is keep doing the work that I know is important for my state. You know, I, I, I just, not worried about folks who may not like this approach. What I am worried about is continuing to do what's right for my state. And there are folks who certainly don't like my approach. We hear about it a lot, but the proof is in the pudding. You know, in the last few years in the Senate, as you and I have just mentioned, I've been honored to lead historic efforts from infrastructure to gun violence prevention, to protecting religious liberty and helping LGBT families feel secure, to the chips and science bill, to the work we've done on veterans issues, the list is really long. And so I think that the results speak for themselves. It's okay if some people aren't comfortable with that approach.
2: Wow. Wow. What a day to be in DC, huh? I know, major Washington news while we're here in Washington. So let's talk about this with CNN's congressional correspondent, Lauren Fox, and CNN's host of the assignment with Audie Cornish. Audie Cornish, wow. Wow. What's your reaction? This is
7: really the identity that she has had this entire time she has been in the U.S. Senate. She has really acted independently time after time, whether it was how Democrats dealt with Build Back Better and tax increases, whether it was how she wanted to deal with the filibuster, she wanted to preserve it. All of those issues really always made her an independent. I think the key question, of course, is, Where is she going to spend her time? Is she still going to caucus with Democrats? Jake asked that question, and it is such a key one. She really skirted around it. And the reason it matters is because it matters in terms of the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. If she is going to continue to serve on her committees and Democrats are still really technically going to have that 51 vote advantage, that really matters for subpoena power. It matters for how the committees are made up. If that changes, obviously a 50-50 Senate is a different dynamic, the one we've been living with for the last two years. So that's really important and really key. But wow, just wow. <laughs> you remember
1: when Mitch McConnell called her the most effective first term senator I've seen in my time in the Senate? Right. And, and the question is, yes, as Jake said, she's voted with Biden. I think it's 93 percent of the time. And he asked her, like, is that going to change? And she essentially said, I'm going to nothing's going to change, but we don't know what this will mean well, for her Well, I would votes. say
8: she's she's being honest and nothing is going to change in the fact that she was able to use her status as someone who is inclined to um, bring Republicans on board to elevate herself in any given discussion, right? Um, and she, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, they're able to have a transactional relationship with their own party and extract concessions that benefit them and the constituencies in their state. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident that she said Arizona voters probably half a dozen times. Uh, And and we learned that Arizona voters, um, there were a fair amount of ticket splitters during this midterm election. So whether she's running or not in the future, it's fair to say she is definitely trying to maintain the power that she has gained um, by making this move.
2: And that power was changed with what we saw happen in Georgia. So I wonder what you make of the timing of this decision, because that is something the White House is going to be looking at, that this comes just after they're off a major victory in Georgia with Warnock getting that full term. And so, What do you think the timing of this looks like?
7: Well, maybe the timing really gave her the room to do this in a way where she felt as though Democrats were going to be secure in their majority, that she felt like she could take this step that was really more true to who she was as an independent. Really, that's how she's operated. That's a
8: very charitable reading, by the
7: way. But I think that one of the reasons that she's also doing this is she's staring down a tough re-election. Like, let's not forget about the fact that that's just around the corner. And you have to be thinking, my state is changing. My state's dynamics have changed. She probably looked at the last midterm and said, what do I need to do to win, to maintain my seat? And perhaps... Saying I'm an independent, putting that I behind your name gives her yeah. that power. And one other thing, it's
8: not just about Arizona. I mean, we're in an age where running for dog catcher is national politics, right? So, <laughs> As you showed us in your first episode exactly. of your podcast. Exactly. I mean, it's very real. So this discussion about the filibuster, this discussion about Roe v. Wade, um, federal judges, all these things, they actually have big effects down ballot and f- for people, not just in Arizona. And I think while that is a good focus for her to say nationally, you are actually going to hear a dialogue that isn't just about the Senate, but is also about how um, senators like Manchin or her are able to wield power over other people in other states um, because of their status as kind of independent voices.
1: I wonder what you think the White House thinks this morning,
8: but I know it's very early,
1: not time to do a ton of reporting, but she has helped Biden. Yes, she's opposed to dismantling the filibuster, but she helped him a lot on Build Back Better chips and some of these things where she was in line.
2: I will say that I, I did hear from a pretty prominent Democratic source just like two minutes ago as this interview was airing. She, the White House did have an idea that this was coming, that oh. she did communicate to the White House the question, though, that I think no one knows, and this has kind of been the entire premise of cinema, is that she is this unknown, and she's been this unknown. She was when they were trying to get all of these bills passed, and what was she actually going to do? She's very quiet. She doesn't often speak to reporters. It's fascinating to even hear her talking to Jake because she does not do interviews like this. And so, you know, the White House did have some idea of it, but I think they still have questions of what, in practice, this actually looks like.
7: Yeah, absolutely. She likes being a mystery. That is something that on Capitol Hill she gets attention for. She likes that. That's her identity. And, you know, when she spends time on the floor of the Senate, she spends sometimes a lot more time with Republicans on their side of the aisle chit-chatting, making deals. And she says all the time, I don't care who I have to work with. I want to make a deal. I want to make things get done in Washington that's what voters want and I think we still just have to see the practical implications Mm -hmm. of what this is going to mean in practice and to that
1: point I think McConnell wants
7: any vote he can get from her
1: let's listen I think we have some sound from Mitch McConnell is that right let's play it
9: she is in my view and I've told her this before the most effective first term senator I've seen in my time in the senate
1: That was September. What do you think this means looking ahead to 2024 when the map
8: gets much harder? Mm For Democrats. It's funny, I'm not all the way at 2024 yet. Well, get there, girlfriend. Know, <laughs> get I mean, there. <laughs> if you, I think about the last time this happened, maybe Arlen Specter, Pennsylvania, yep. George Bush era, and they were still able to pass some legislative priorities. Now they were kind of post 9-11 related around intelligence and surveillance and things like that. So there was sort of a kind of higher calling in those moments. But this does have real implications for what the legislative agenda is going into that 2024 mm. period, of which Everyone else will be running on.
2: And that's going to be a brutal year for Democrats, potentially. They've got a lot of seats. It's not going to look like it did this year. And right. so well, Arizona is just becoming
8: more and more intriguing when you think back to the sort of McCain Maverick days and, yeah. you know, the way what happened with the election in Cary Lake. It just, I feel like it's a place to watch over the next couple of years.
10: Yeah, for sure. It
2: definitely is. I can't wait to see what the reaction on the Hill is. Yeah. Lauren, Audie, thanks for joining us on this major breaking news. Thank you. Thank you. A little later, we're going to speak to Jake Tapper himself about this rare interview with Senator Sinema, her huge decision to step away from the Democratic Party. Also this morning, there's a new CNN poll that is just out this hour. We'll tell you what it says about President Biden's approval after those midterm elections we were just talking about.
1: Plus, hospitals are really uh, hitting their max
2: capacity
1: on patients, the fullest they've been throughout the pandemic, and it's not just because of COVID. What you need to know about this triple-demic. More CNN this morning to come after the break. Moments ago, WNBA star Brittany Griner touched down in the United States on U.S. soil after 10 months being detained in Russia officials say she was will first be taken to a medical facility in San Antonio where she will receive care and finally be reunited with her wife and her parents. Joining us now, CNN National Security Correspondent Kylie Atwood and CNN Senior White House Correspondent MJ Lee. So you were both on the breaking news with us yesterday morning when this happened. 24 hours later, she is back on U.S. soil.
11: Yeah, and she is... Um, by all measures, elated, right? The only video that we have actually seen of Brittany Griner was released by Russian state media. And they asked her on that flight when she was flying to Abu Dhabi. That's where the swap happened. And then she was going to fly back to the United States. They said, are you ready for the flight? And she says, with a small smile on her face, yes yes i'm ready and i think that's our best indication right now as to how she's feeling because we haven't heard from her in a really broad sense but when you talk to biden administration officials they say she's in good spirits sherelle griner spoke yesterday at the white house and was very definitive in talking about her family being whole once again and of course we look forward to hearing her voice because the last few months have been by all accounts some of the darkest of her entire life
2: and this is such a big moment for the White House, too. I think they thought it might be more focused on Brittany Griner and what we just saw there, her landing in her home state of Texas. But a lot of the questions immediately popped up about Paul Whelan, the fact that this was a significant compromise to, to send this notorious arms dealer in exchange for a basketball star. Right. I wonder what the White House is reflecting on as they talked about, you know, this decision that came together, they said, really last week when President Biden made the final call.
12: Well, I think you saw from every public statement that we saw yesterday coming from the White House. The emphasis on Paul Whelan and really emphasizing just what a difficult and challenging this uh, decision this was for President Biden and everyone around him. This wasn't where they wanted to end up. but uh, They obviously proposed a deal that included both Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. And at some point, it became very clear because the Russians were so insistent, you are going to get Brittany Griner and nobody else. And at some point, they just had to make the executive Shit. decision that, you know, it's either going to be nobody or we are going to get Brittany Griner. And I think a piece of language that the White House has continued to use is moral obligation. They said the president himself felt like there was a moral obligation to Brittany Griner, who is a U.S. citizen, to get her out when that deal was being presented to them. One of the
1: headlines from our colleagues this morning was, you know, the White House, Biden chooses humanity over geopolitics. But... Get get your point, and I do want to play for people the Blinken sound. What no, just to say, yeah.
11: and to the credit of the Whelan family, they have said, of course, they want the yes. Biden administration to work to bring home Paul Whelan, who we should note has been detained there for almost four years. But they were incredibly gracious yesterday and saying that they believe that the Biden administration made the right call here. I mean, imagine how hard that is to actually say when your loved one is being left behind.
1: Let's listen. You're, that's such a good point. They really were. Let's yeah. listen to the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on this
6: this was not a choice of which american to bring home
13: the choice was one or none i wholeheartedly wish that we could have brought paul home today on the same plane as britney just as at the time i wish we could have brought britney and paul home when we secured the release of trevor reed back in april
1: does the white house actually have
12: anything russia wants enough to let whelan go Mm
1: -hmm.
12: well now that victor boot is off the table it's really, really unclear. Um, And I think a very challenging question that the White House now has to deal with, too, is the bigger question of what kind of precedent this potentially sets, right? And they have gotten plenty of criticism for this already. You know, if you are a rogue actor or a foreign government watching all of this unfold, what is to say that you are not thinking, okay, so if we take an American citizen captive and hostage, then we too could get back somebody as notorious and dangerous as somebody somebody like Victor Boot, uh, who has the nickname of Merchant of Death for a reason? Um, when we asked the White House this question yesterday, I have to tell. you we did not get a reassuring answer the answer from Karine jean pierre was well you know countries like russia are doing this kind of thing anyway well that doesn't really answer the question of how are you going to prevent other uh, countries from taking more people captive and using that as leverage
2: and they have very often said, you know, don't pay these ransoms, don't negotiate. That has kind of been their policy from the State Department when it comes to families that have wanted to take this up in their own hands. That's right. That
11: is U.S. government policy, right? So it is a challenging thing. But the other thing that administration officials were saying yesterday, very definitively, was they're going to do anything that they can that is in their power to get home Americans. And I do think that that's a powerful message because there's a concern, as you said, that other you know countries are watching that. They're going to take other Americans. Um, But the other thing that the Biden administration is saying that they're doing is that they're going to target those who are taking Americans. And we saw the president, actually President Biden, rolled out an executive order just a few months ago, enabling the U.S. government to do that a little bit more easily. We'll have to see how that actually works out. But they're trying their best.
2: Yeah, we'll wait to see what happens. MJ Lee, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Ahead, the WNBA commissioner, Kathy Engelbert, is actually going to join us on the league's efforts to bring Brittany Griner home and the letters that she wrote to her during her 10 months in Russia. Meanwhile, President Biden's approval ratings are in. We'll tell you what the new CNN poll shows. These are big numbers for the White House that they'll be watching closely as well. Also, former President Trump facing a hearing as the
1: Justice Department asks a judge to hold him in contempt. That would be extraordinary. What to expect ahead.
2: Welcome back to CNN this morning. We are live in Washington today. We have a lot coming up for you, including Democrats. You know, they won the midterms, but where does President Biden's approval stand after seeing what voters said at the polls? New CNN polling in just a moment. Plus, hospitals in the U.S. are at the fullest they have been actually throughout the pandemic. It's not just because of coronavirus, though. We'll tell you why. And also, Senator Kirsten Sinema out with a big announcement this morning. How are her fellow Democrats, or previous fellow Democrats, going to react? Michael Smirconish is standing by.
5: All right,
1: this just in. Brand new CNN polling on President Biden's job approval following the critical midterms. 46% of Americans say they like the way the president is handling his job. 54% disapprove. Let's go to CNN senior data reporter Harry Anton. You feel so far all the way in new york yet so close good morning harry is this good for the president
14: i mean look it's not a great approval rating right 46 percent approve, 54 yeah. percent disapprove. but i want you to take a look at the trend line here and this is better news for the president right so approve of president of biden's job approval rating you can see right now 46 percent right it was 41 percent in our last poll back in october June, July, 41% April, May. So the 46% is actually the highest number that we've recorded him having in a while. But as you said, it's still not great. Why is it that his approval rating is up, but still not awesome? So things in the country going today are going well, right? How are things going? We're at 35% who say things are going well in the country. That is up from where we were in October, right, when it was just 26%. In fact, it's the highest rating that we have recorded on this measure since December of 2021 when it was 38%. So again, 35% of Americans think saying that things are going well. It's not an awesome number, but it is better from where we were. And if you look here on the economy, right, is the economy, how's the economy doing? This gives you an understanding of why things are doing what they're doing. That is why the approval rating for Joe Biden is low, but perhaps it's up. The economy, still in a downturn. 53% of Americans say that the economy is still in a downturn. There's this 30% who say it's stabilized, not getting worse. 17% say it's starting to recover, but still, Most Americans believe that the economy is still in a downturn. Now, I want to dug a little bit deeper into the economy, right, and give you an understanding of why Americans think uh, think that things are still in a downturn. So this is the change in financial situation over the past year. And what do we see here, right? Are things worse off? 49% say that things, that their change in their financial situation, it's worse off. If you looked a year ago, it was just 33%. Again, about the same, better off totaling about 50%. But 49% say things are still worse off. It's not great. So it's really the economy that is keeping Joe Biden's job approval ratings down.
1: It's all that matters, really, with the economy is how people feel, not whether there's a technical recession or not. Harry, thank you, friend. Thank you. Uh, What is the White House going to think about this? The
2: approval number for Biden going from 41 in October percent to 46 in December is pretty good. That's going to be something they wanted to see, especially because... When we talk about the midterms, and I don't think we talk about this enough that it was it defied history, how well Democrats did. They were expecting a completely different midterm night than what they got back in November. So that is something that helps White House. One thing to think also is, you know, how does that factor into Biden's decision making on talking About running.
1: But also the Griner, I I don't know if I don't know if it would move the polls, but the bringing Brittany Griner home isn't in, in these numbers, yeah, right? It's so good news for them. Good news for them in America. OK.
2: Yeah. Up next, hospitals are the fullest that they have been since the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's not just the COVID uh, coronavirus that is filling the beds. It's other respiratory viruses now, too, that are to blame. Joining us is CNN's medical correspondent, Dr. Tara Narula. Doctor, this is kind of a surprising number, because I think if you just generally asked people what they would see when it comes to these the capacity at these hospitals, they would have thought it would have been higher earlier on in the pandemic. But now, with the confluence of all of this, it, we're seeing them at capacity. Absolutely,
15: Caitlin. And you know,
2: hospitals were required to begin reporting capacity back in the
15: mid part of 2020 to help track the COVID pandemic. And in fact, over the past two years, in general, they've been operating with about 70% of beds full. That number this past week is up to 80%. In fact, it jumped about 8% in the past two weeks. The only other time where we saw beds about 80% full was last January at the height of Omicron. Um, there are many states where the numbers are even higher. For example, Rhode Island, we're talking over 90%. There's about eight states, including Washington, Oregon, Massachusetts, where the numbers are over 85%. Now, we've been clearly talking about this in terms of pediatric hospitals as well. Those numbers, we're talking three quarters of uh, capacity versus typically about two thirds. And when you look at the breakdown, only 6% of the patients are COVID patients. That's compared to about 25% last January. So as you mentioned, clearly more going on.
1: Is it because of what they're calling the triple-demic, which is COVID plus RSV plus flu? And no. a lack of immunity because of masks we've worn for, you know, three years.
15: Exactly. You know, that's definitely a huge part of this. Our new favorite word, triple demic. <laughs> um, and so certainly it seems that RSV numbers are peaking in many parts of the country and hospitalizations are slowing down. But when you look at the flu, those numbers are still high. In fact, the CDC director this week saying that hospitalizations are at an all time high for this time of year compared to the prior decade. Um, and almost all but six states are really reporting high. High levels or very high levels of circula- circulating respiratory viruses. So that is definitely a big part of this. 78,000 hospitalizations this year already for flu, 4,500 deaths. But, Poppy, there's also the issue of workforce shortages. We know that right. that contributes to problems both in hospitals, and we don't think about this often, but how do you get patients out of the hospital? You have to discharge them somewhere to nursing mm-hmm. facilities, to rehabs, and when you don't have staff there, that can be a problem. And then finally, I would say a lot of people delayed care over the past two years, their own care for other issues, those are now taking up hospital beds. So it's a confluence of all of these issues at the same time. A lot to deal with uh, Dr. Tara Narula. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Thank you too.
2: We have more on our breaking news this morning. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema. She's no longer a Democrat. We'll get reaction from CNN's Michael Smirkonish on what that means for the structure of the Senate. That's next. Over 7 million people are under winter weather advisories this morning as heavy snow and ice are expected to make traveling incredibly difficult across several states from the Rockies to the Great Lakes and beyond. Over a foot of snow is expected in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Back to back to back storm systems are going to be making their way across the country over the weekend with the largest bringing the threat of more rain, possible tornadoes, maybe even those blizzard like conditions that we've seen.
1: All right, more on our breaking news this morning. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema tells CNN in an exclusive TV interview with our Jake Tapper she is leaving the Democratic Party. She is registered as an independent. This announcement comes just days after Senate Democrats gained a clear 51-49 majority after the reelection of Senator Raphael Warnock in Georgia. CNN political commentator and fierce independent Michael Smirconish joins us now. I'm so glad you could be with us on a day like this. What do you think?
16: i think it's huge news and she's got lots of company 42 percent of the country according to gallup self-identify as I's, not as ours or d's that's a plurality of the country i just looked at the latest data as of november for arizona there are more others that's what they're called in arizona than there are democrats and nearly as many others as there are republicans so the point is, there are a hell of a lot of us in the country mm. who regard ourselves as independents. There really is not a leader, you know, for that constituency. And and I think she assumes that mantle. I think she is that individual.
2: Michael, one thing that has been noted to me by Democratic sources that we're talking with this morning, she votes with Biden a lot of the yeah. time. She gets criticism. You may not think that, but she actually does bo- vote with the Biden agenda a lot. Do you think all of this has to do with her reelection that she hasn't said whether or not she's running, but does this all have to do with her potentially running for reelection as they have promised to primary her in the Democratic Party?
16: It might. There's a group called Common Ground that just released data within the last few days showing that bridge builders, for lack of a better description, did extremely well in competitive congressional races in this cycle. So is it a smart play politically? I think that it is. But I, I also think, notwithstanding that she votes with the administration far more than she votes against it, I, I also think she has proven her independence, much like Joe Manchin has. I mean, it's funny because if you caught me cold and you said, hey, we've got a story today, someone has formally joined the ranks of independence, who do you think it is? I probably would have said Manchin so, right. followed by But, you know, the two of them, they exhibit such control in the Senate because everyone needs to come to them to cut a deal. So I think it's wise politically, and I also think it's wise for her constituents because it places great power in her hands.
1: I was asking Caitlin this morning what she thought, and I wonder what you think about this. This feels, um, from someone who's not a DC insider, very different than uh, Bernie Sanders or Angus King, who caucus with the Democrats and are pretty reliable. Do you think it's different?
16: totally different. I, I think that most Americans don't even regard Senator Sanders as an independent because we're so used to seeing him run for president as a Democrat. You'll both remember that in the recent election, Evan McMullen ran mm-hmm. as an independent in Utah, put up a pretty good showing, ultimately was unsuccessful. But there is a wonky question in all of this. And I asked it of Evan McMullen. And the question is, OK, you're going to be an independent, but will you caucus with either party? Because if you don't, won't you lose any committee standing? And he cited for me on CNN a Senate rule. I think it was 25, but don't hold me to it. But he said that there's a Senate rule that applies that guarantees that a sitting senator has at least two committee assignments. That'll be very interesting to see how that gets handled because I don't think Democrats will want to punish her because ultimately they're gonna need her given the close margin that exists in the U.S. Senate. One other observation, if I might, and the two of you made reference to this in a prior segment this morning, one wonders whether she would have had this coming out as an independent if the election had gone in a different direction. In other words, the D's can afford to lose one, right? I don't know if she would have made this move if say Herschel Walker and maybe one other race had gone differently.
17: good
1: point. That's That's a great point. I feel like she knows rule 25 or whatever you just said, because she said to Jake that she's confident she'll have committee she'll assignments. those committee assignments, yeah. Thank you, fierce, independent Michael Smirkanish. We appreciate love, you. Love
16: that. love that. Thank you. That is,
1: yeah, we'll like banner you like that every time you're <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, everyone, I'm sure you already watch, but you can catch Michael's show 9 a.m. Eastern every Saturday right here.
2: All right, next time you get a crisp new dollar bill at the store or the ATM, something is going to look different on it. We'll tell you what to look for and why it is a pretty big deal, actually. That's next. It's great. History in the making. You can hear that money coming off the presses as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Treasurer Lynn Malerba mark a new milestone in the U.S. For the first time, two women now have their signatures on our nation's currency. That's not all. Yellen is also the first female Treasury Secretary to sign a banknote, and Malerba became the first Native American to do the same. Yellen delivered remarks after her tour of the Fort Worth Bureau of Engraving and Printing Facility. She said she's truly honored by this, but she also made this clear, that the fight for equity and inclusion is not over yet.
3: We've made progress in providing greater economic opportunity for women at Treasury and in the economics profession. But we still know that much more needs to be done. And I hope that today,
18: is a reminder of the road we have traveled on equity and inclusion
2: and i hope it motivates us to continue to move forward
1: me too great to see
2: great moment for her all right we have
1: two major breaking stories this morning Brittany griner and wnba star back on u.s soil after her release from a russian prison and this
2: arizona senator kirsten cinema is leaving the democratic party we'll tell you what does that mean for what actually happens on capitol hill More CNN this morning to come after the break.
1: In sports this morning, Army-Navy may be brothers on the battlefield, but they are definitely not on the football field, as Caitlin will find out this weekend. The cadets and midshipmen will face off for the 123rd time in Philadelphia tomorrow afternoon, renewing one of the greatest rivalries in all of sports.
16: Both schools want to win in the worst way. The players want to win in the worst way. They're going to give everything they have. But when they graduate, they'll be one on one team and they'll be protecting our freedoms
6: as a country.
17: It's amazing that this one game can represent so many people. you know. And it's, it's, it's a great feeling and I'm just honored to be able to be a part of it.
6: It's so awesome.
4: You get, you get presidents, you get all these celebrities that come. I mean, America is truly watching this game and I'm, I'm so excited that you get to be a part of it.
1: Each team will be wearing special uniforms for the showdown. Army will honor soldiers of the 1st Armored Division during World War II. Navy wearing space-themed uniforms honoring the 54 midshipmen who became astronauts. CNN This Morning continues right now.
5: Removing myself from the partisan structure... Not only is it true to who I am and how I operate, I also think it'll provide a place of belonging for many folks across the state and the country who also are tired of the partisanship.
2: That's Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema declaring that she has left the Democratic Party. Good morning, everyone. We are live in Washington, D.C. this morning. Dawn is off. Senator Sinema says that she's registered now as an independent. We'll tell you what her political shift will mean for the newly minted Democratic majority in the Senate. Also
1: breaking news this morning and good news to share with you. Brittany Greiner has landed on American soil after 10 months of Russian detention. In a moment, we will be joined by the commissioner of the WNBA to get her reaction.
2: Also this morning, major questions about potential new legal jeopardy for former President Trump. A federal judge is going to consider the Justice Department's request this afternoon to hold the former president in contempt of court for failing to comply, they say, with a subpoena for all classified documents. And Hawaii's
1: erupting. Mauna Loa Volcano is drawing crowds and warnings not to get too close. But some people just cannot help themselves. They are addicted to the flow.
17: A lava junkie, you know, the the kind of the the term out here, we all call ourselves lava junkie. It's kind of our fix. We we go on out, it's what gives us our excitement, it's what gives us our adrenaline for the day.
1: But first this morning, Brittany Griner is home. She's back on US soil a day after she was released from Russian detention in a one-for-one prisoner swap that involved arms dealer Victor Boot. Griner landed in Texas early this morning. Let's go to our colleague CNN's Rosa Flores in San Antonio. What a day! What a moment to be there!
3: Absolutely, Poppy. Good morning. You know, there was no big public spectacle. There was no big fanfare to welcome Britney Gr- Griner here to the United States. What we could see from the ground was her plane land here at Kelly Field in San Antonio. Then the WNBA star walked off the plane, and she walked into a hangar. Those were her first steps as a free American on U.S. soil. Britney Griner is finally home. The WNBA star landed in San Antonio early this morning after nearly 10 months detained in Russia.
19: The most important emotion that I have right now is
3: just sincere gratitude. Griner is returning home to her family, teammates, and a lesion of supportive fans.
8: We love you and we are here for you. Uh, we know that the journey that she has just experienced was a very difficult one, but we're here to walk with her step by step.
3: The Biden administration secured Griner's release in a high-stakes prisoner swap with arms dealer Victor Boot after months of negotiations.
6: I'm proud that today we had made one more family whole again. So
20: welcome home, Brittany.
3: Greiner is seen here leaving Russian detention, boarding a plane, given her passport and realizing she is heading home.
21: Are you ready for
22: a um, flight? Uh, yes. 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 yes.
3: The swap took place in Abu Dhabi, where the two were seen passing each other on the tarmac. The WNBA star was detained in Russia back in February after cannabis oil was found in her suitcase at an airport in the Moscow region. She was sentenced to nine years in prison in early August and was moved to a penal colony in mid-November after losing her appeal. Paul Whelan, another American detained in Russia, was notably left out of the exchange. The Biden administration has come under fire for not securing his release.
13: This was not a choice of which American to bring home. The choice was one or none.
3: A senior administration official tells CNN the Biden administration has ideas for new forms of offers they are going to try with Russia in an effort to bring Whelan home. President Biden spoke to Whelan's
18: sister on Thursday. There are a lot of people moaning and groaning about Victor Boot going uh, back to Russia. But I've got to say... W- Uh, It's an amazing thing to be able to get Brittany back. So I would urge everyone to, uh, you know, to keep their partisan
3: sniping out of it. CNN spoke by phone with Whelan.
22: I would say that if
17: um, a message could go to President Biden that, um, you know, this is a precarious situation that needs to be resolved quickly.
3: And back to Brittany Griner, U.S. officials not saying exactly what will happen once she is on the ground now that she is here on U.S. soil, but they do say that she will be transferred to a medical facility mm-hmm. for an evaluation. And Caitlin, I should mention that just moments ago, our colleague MJ Lee, learning from U.S. officials, uh, who spoke to Brittany Griner saying that she is in good spirits, And incredibly gracious. Caitlin.
1: That is great to hear. Rosa, thank you for being there. Well, the WNBA, the NBA, their players never gave up. They kept Brittany Griner in the public eye during 10 months of detention in Russia. They highlighted her initials on their courts. They wore her number at the All-Star Game and continuously pushed on her case. Griner's team, the Phoenix Mercury, tweeted each day, every day, counting how many days she was detained. But yesterday, this is what they tweeted no more days. She is coming home. Joining us now for her first television interview since the news is WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert. Commissioner, thank you. Um, what news? I'm so happy that we can share this with our viewers, and I just wonder what your thoughts are this morning.
18: Yeah, what a day yesterday. Um, obviously, we knew for a couple days that uh, negotiations were intensifying, but this has been a 10-month process, and. The brave men and women of the State Department and the administration, you know, that's why the, you heard so much gratitude. It's just an amazing outcome for Brittany and her family. I can't imagine as a mom myself, her parents, her mom and dad right now, and her wife, Sherelle, and just, you know, what's going on down in Texas in a reunited situation. I can, you know, just so much joy, and Brittany really deserved to be home. She was wrongfully detained, and we're happy that she's reuniting with her family today.
1: Now that she's home, can you take us behind the scenes of the past few days, these indications you were getting? Because you have said that you had been working the WNBA with the State Department and the Biden administration to help free her. And there was really nothing you could say while you were working on that. But now that she's home, what can you share?
18: Well, again, since February, since her detention, and then in April, when the State Department deemed her wrongfully detained, we've been working with the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, knowing, uh, Poppy, that how geopolitically complex the moment was and the situation and how hard these men and women of the State Department uh, are working. Um, You know, they would say, we're all Brittany all the time. And obviously, they're working on all wrongfully detained Americans around the, around the globe. So really, just the courage that they showed, the resilience that Brittany showed. I mean, this was not an easy 10 months and, and just, you know, we're anxious to get to talk to her. We're anxious to uh, the players, the WNBA players kept her front and center, you know, and uh, they're the rock stars as well.
1: She wrote you um, letters from there. And I know she wrote you even just a few months ago. Um, I wonder what you can share and also what you're going to say to her when you get to talk to her?
18: I will say, you know, her her letter handwritten um, before she got moved further outside of Moscow was inspiring. She was hanging in there. She ended the letter with, you know, just uh, thankfulness, gratefulness to me personally and to the WNBA for the support. And and again, there were various strategies over the course of the 10 months about how to best uh, put Britney in the limelight, how to stay behind the scenes, how to work with, the State Department. We knew legal and diplomatically, we didn't have a lot of options. So, really, the prisoner-to-prisoner trade was exchange was the only option. Um, that became very uh, clear early on. So, you know, uh, we were writing her about every six weeks. Remember, mm-hmm. I, she was not there for the entire season. So, she was very missed by the players during the season. They had kind of a heavy burden to play without her, especially in Phoenix at the Phoenix Mercury. So. Um, And I I can't wait to talk to her and just, you know, tell her how much we were thinking of her the whole time because it was very hard. We couldn't call her. She couldn't call us. Uh, Just how much we thought about her and how much, you know, um, you know, we'll give time and space and whatever she needs. But, you know, I know the players are very anxious to to fly anywhere to see her right now and as am I.
1: Kathy, I want to take this moment to highlight an issue that you and I have talked about for many years now uh, since you became commissioner, and that is disparity in pay. For WNBA players and real lack of equality. The reason Brittany Griner went and why you know New York Times reports about half of the WNBA players go abroad to play in the offseason is be- financial reasons. It's because of it's because of pay disparity. Um, could, could you speak to that in this moment? She wouldn't have been in Russia were it not for them. Were are not for that.
18: Right. So one of the things we're chipping away at, we're trying to transform the business economics of this league and of women's sports. Women's sports are um, very much underinvested in less than 1% of all corporate sponsorship dollars go towards women's sports in in the sports world and less than 5% of all media coverage of sports goes towards women's sports. So we're trying to move the needle. You know, on those uh, numbers, and we're chipping away at that. We have our WNBA change makers, our big corporate partners now, that are helping us drive higher pay. We've tripled the pay of the top player. A player can now make up to seven hundred thousand for about the four and a half month season that we run. So we're chipping away at the benefits are getting better, but you know, we're 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 literally transforming this organization and we hope we put up a half million dollar prize pool for our in-season competition, the Mm -hmm. Commissioner's Cup. So I understand the frustration and I also think as a former college athlete, uh, WNBA wasn't around when I came out, but I also think players want to play this is their craft this is yeah. they are professional working women and they want to play and yeah. a lot of them want to play year-round and some of them don't get a lot of playing time in the WNBA so we're never going to say they can't play in other leagues in our offseason yeah. uh, but we're focused on driving higher pay for sure driving opportunities yeah. to pay the players and to get them better and benefits and but we need the whole sports ecosystem to step up I here wish- and help value value the league I was
1: just going to say this is a moment for those big corporations, big media companies you're talking about to step up to that. Quickly before you go, does this experience mean that you will advise WNBA players against playing abroad? At least, obviously, they can't go to Russia right now, but in other countries with similar real geopolitical concerns, China and others.
18: Yeah, what, what we do is, you know, players are going to make the best decisions for themselves, especially our younger players who need to improve their game, and they're going to play year-round. They're going to train year-round, but we're providing more opportunities here at home, whether it's through mm-hmm. internships, player marketing agreements. We'll have 10 players under marketing agreements in this offseason, so they don't go overseas. They get paid by us, spend about one and a half million dollars on that this offseason. So, so again, as I said, Poppy, we're chipping away at it. You know, Rome wasn't built in the day, but, you know, we're not going to prevent the players from doing it. They know their bodies. The average tenure of a professional athlete in our league is five years. So they want to get as much play and they want to get as great as possible to put the greatest product on the court. So we're never going to say no. We do advise them of security risks in different countries. We just had one in Turkey. We have players right now in Turkey. There was that explosion in Istanbul. So we're always advising players of kind of the geopolitical risk and and mostly the security risks of playing uh, where they play. But again, we're not going to prevent them from doing that. But we do want to provide you know, a a better holistic uh, player experience here at home during the WNBA season.
1: Kathy, thank you for your time this morning. We are uh, elated, to say the least, for for the WNBA. And thanks for for fighting for equality on all those fronts.
18: Yes, thank you, Poppy. Thanks so much. A great day for Brittany Landing in Texas. Thank you. Caitlin.
2: We have big breaking news this morning when it comes to here in Washington. Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema is no longer a Democrat she has now registered as an independent. That's an announcement that you know could potentially bring down the mood of Democrats. They just been celebrating their brand new 51 seat majority. So the questions are, what does this mean? We'll talk about those big political implications of what it looks like on Capitol Hill in just a moment. But first we wanna show you more of what she told CNN's Jake Tapper about this move.
4: You're here to make a significant announcement.
2: I've
5: registered as an Arizona independent. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. So.
4: Your voting record is pretty, capital D, Democratic. I mean, your views are generally that of a moderate centrist Democrat. How does leaving the party change how you do your job?
5: Well, I don't think anything will change about how I do my job. Um, Arizonans sent me to the United States Senate to be an independent voice for our state, and I'll continue doing that. What I think is important about this decision and, and this move is that I'll be able to show up to work every day as an independent and not be you know, stuck into one party's demands of following without thinking. And, and as we've seen in recent years, both parties have created this uh, kind of requirement or a pull towards the edges that you just unthinkingly support all of one party's viewpoints. It's made it difficult to find folks who are willing to work together and solve problems.
4: Ever since uh, Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock, was re-elected earlier this week, the balance of power right now is 51 Democrats, or 51 votes for the Democratic Party. That includes two independents, Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, but that's 51-49. What you're doing today doesn't change that? It's still basically gonna be 51-49?
5: Well, I know you have to ask that question, Jake, That's kind of a D.C. thing to worry about. What I'm really focused on is just making sure that I'm doing what I think comports with my values and the values of Arizonans. So when I come to work each day, it'll be the same. I'm gonna still come to work and hopefully serve on uh, the same committees I've been serving on and continue to work well with my colleagues of both political parties. And I'm not really spending much time worrying about what the mechanics look like for Washington, D.C. And to be honest, Jake, I don't think anyone in Arizona is caring about that either.
2: We'll find out. So joining us now to talk about that amazing interview that Jake had with Senator Sinema is CNN's Capitol Hill reporter, Melanie Zanona, and CNN political commentator, Van Jones. Thank you both for being here this morning. What she said there, Melanie, was so interesting about the aspect she said. Jake basically said, does this change the makeup of the Senate? This you know new Senate that they just got after the Georgia win on Tuesday night, she said that's kind of a decent thing to worry about, <laughs> but it's a real It's question. a big deal. That's a valid question. It's a, a question a lot of
23: us are wondering. Look, it's a little unclear at this point. I would point out there are two independents who already caucus with Democrats, Bernie Sanders and Angus King. She said uh, she didn't say whether she's going to caucus with Democrats, but she did say she's going to keep her committee assignments. She's going to vote the same way. She's not going to caucus with Republicans. So if that promise holds... Democrats are still going to have controls over the committees, right? And that was one of the big deals about when they finally got the 51 Senate versus the split Senate, that they would have control over committees. So theoretically, that won't change. But when it comes to the floor, Democrats aren't going to have necessarily the neat and tidy 51-49 Senate that they perhaps anticipated. This <coughs> potentially gives Joe Manchin outsized <coughs> influence once again. Uh, and so the question here is whether, A, Cinema is going to feel even more emboldened, to vote freely, and B, does Joe Manchin also follow suit? I was just wondering. Want- what do you think? Does he well, suit? he's also up in cycle in 24. Yeah. He has said repeatedly that he's not going to become a Republican, uh, but it could put some pressure on him to do the same. However, I think because this takes some of the pressure off of Sinema to do this, she has a little breathing room now, um, it might make it harder for Joe Manchin to do that. Van Jones,
2: um, I wonder what you make of this.
20: Well, um, you know, it, it, it's a... It could be a a, difference without a a decision without a difference. There's three mm-hmm. questions you got to ask. Who is she going to caucus with? Uh, who is she going to support in leadership? And who is she going to vote with? If those three things don't change, then the structure of, of, the, of the Senate doesn't change that much. Um, so we got to figure out what that's going to be. But here's the thing. The other independents, you have an understanding about who they are and, and what they're about. She's less of an independent, more of an enigma. The, the challenge I think that Democrats had with her was that in the middle of the biggest negotiations for the most important parts of Biden's agenda, you just didn't know what she actually wanted. You know what she didn't want. And she would sort of do this thing. And it was just a, a, a confounding political presence. And I don't think that that actually is what uh, people in Arizona are looking for or anybody's looking for. Uh, the reason that uh, you have someone like Bernie Sanders as an independent, he has a consistent worldview uh, that doesn't quite fit. And he can tell you what that is. With, with Kristen, you just never knew, what do you want? You say you're representing Arizonans, well, which ones and what do they want? And it was just confounding. So in some ways it's more, it's more truth than advertising uh, when she says she's not a Democrat. Uh, but I think that she evolves, it'd just be helpful for us to know hmm. what do you actually stand for and what do you stand against besides just sort of being a contrarian uh, that uh, you know, basically gums up the, the Democratic Party's uh, processes.
1: Van, I want to uh, get your reaction, and and Melanie, jump in too. Let's just play what Senator um, Tom Cotton just said about this. Here he was.
6: Well, it's a reflection on the Democratic Party and just how extreme and left-wing it's become in recent years. They've essentially uh, drummed Kirsten Sinema out of their party. Look, we don't agree on many issues, but I've told her over the last few years that if she wanted to dip a toe in the Republican Party's pool, we'd be happy to (laughs) have her jump in with us as well.
1: A lot of Republican love for uh, Kirsten Sinema this morning. I mean, Van, you're shaking your heads, but it was just a few months ago that Mitch McConnell called her the most effective first-term senator I've seen in my entire time in the Senate.
20: Look, when you're getting praised by uh, Tom Cotton, who is um, you know, horrible on uh, LGBTQ rights, horrible on basic justice issues, horrible on every issue, I don't think that's great uh, for uh, people in Arizona to hear uh, her being praised in that way. Look, I think that uh, you know fundamentally what you're going to see now. You know, Ruben Gallegos uh, is going to almost certainly now challenge her uh, for that Senate seat. Uh, There's been a lot of pressure on him, a a younger uh, progressive uh, Latino in her state. I think he probably steps up. you got to watch what he does. I agree. Uh, This puts Manchin in a very interesting position. What everybody's worried about is that 2024 calendar where you got a lot of vulnerable Democrats. And in some ways, this can seem like it's above partisanship, et cetera, et cetera. It also uh, could be her reading some tea leaves in her home state. Um, Again, I I agree with her. Uh, these parties are difficult to navigate, uh, but I would have more confidence that she, she means what she says if she were consistent in what her uh, actual values are, what her priorities are. Uh, she's not an independent, she's an enigma, and that is very, very different. And so I think uh, watch Ruben Gallego going forward, uh, watch Joe Manchin going forward. But if she, if she caucuses with Democrats, supports Democratic uh, leadership and continues to mainly vote with Democrats, it doesn't change Joe Biden's hand as much as you might think.
2: Yeah. And that's what we're hearing from the White House is they're saying, look at all the times that she has voted with us. Melanie, you know, what Van says there about Ruben Gallego is so important because he had said he would primary her. But yeah. now this basically I guess the question is, could she have won if she does run for reelection as a Democrat in that primary? Yeah,
23: I think that was part of her calculation, right? This would have been an ugly primary. She's facing a ton of pressure from the progressive wing. I think Ruben Gallego would have challenged her. So now this immediately eliminates that threat whether she can make it as an independent Arizona. We're kind of in uncharted territory here, but there are more registered independents in Arizona than there were before. There are a lot of split, t- split ticket voters uh, in the last election. Um, and for Sinema, this makes sense practically. She has always had an independent streak. I think she likes being called an enigma to Van's uh, branding there. She probably relishes in that. She likes the praise for Mitch McConnell. Um, and a lot of people don't remember, but she actually got her political start running in the, as a member of the Green Party. So it makes sense politically for her. And I think it makes sense practically as well. Thank
1: you both. Melanie Zanona, Van Jones. Have a good weekend. We appreciate it.
2: And a little later, we're going to talk to Jake Tapper about this interview, what his takeaways were when it comes to her decision to step away from the Democratic Party and what it means for her party on Capitol Hill. Uh, We
1: also have new polling, CNN polling this morning on how all of you are feeling about President Biden and
2: the economy following the midterms. Also this morning, what we are learning about the Justice Department's attempt to actually hold former President Trump in contempt of court. We could see movement on that as soon as today. More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
1: Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Coming up for us, CNN is live in Hawaii, speaking to people who are choosing to get close to the lava. Wait until you hear what they call themselves, by the way. Another key measure of inflation. We will get that uh, coming up key indicator of the U.S. economy, and Brittany Griner is home. She is finally free and back on U.S. soil. This morning ahead, we'll speak to the White House's John Kirby about all of this.
2: But this morning we start. A new CNN poll shows President Biden's job approval rating actually now stands at 46 percent. That is after it drifted as low as 38 percent back in June and July of this year. The vast majority of Americans do not like the country the direction that the country is moving in right now. According to this new poll, only 35% say that things are going well in the United States today. With surging inflation expected to continue into next year, and the concerns about a recession still present, still melting, today 53% of Americans say that the economy is still in a downturn, and only 17% say they believe it is starting to recover. When it comes to their biggest concerns, 63% of Americans say they're very concerned about the cost of living, followed by 42% who say they're worried about the rising interest rates, another 15% who say right now they fear losing their job. All right, this
1: morning, pressure on Donald Trump is intensifying. The Justice Department asks a federal judge to hold a former president in contempt. That is remarkable, and it is all over his failure to comply with a subpoena to turn over classified documents. A team hired by Trump's lawyers recently found, you'll remember Caitlin's reporting, two more classified documents at this Florida storage facility after the earlier Mar-a-Lago search. So let's go straight to CNN's Caitlin Polance outside the federal court in Washington for more. Am I right that it's sort of remarkable for this ask to be made? And, and then obvious question is like, is a judge going to do this? Yeah, Poppy, exactly. This is a pretty intense escalation
24: of where things stand in this really long-running fight over whether or not Donald Trump has given back all of the federal records in his possession. The Justice Department has really wanted to make sure that any national security secrets that he may be keeping anywhere in any of the places uh, that he lives or works, that all of that is back in their hands. And as of right now, almost two years after the end of the Trump presidency, the Justice Department is still not satisfied. They believe that there is the possibility that Donald Trump could potentially still have classified records or records with classified markings on them that they need to get back. And so today, we do believe, uh, this is Caitlin's reporting and mine as well, that in this courthouse, there is going to be a federal judge holding a hearing. Uh, This hearing is gonna be under seal. We don't believe we're gonna be able to see anything or hear anything, we may see the lawyers walk in and walk out and that's it. But what the judge will be considering today uh, is whether or not to hold Donald Trump and the office of the former president in contempt of court for not satisfying this long running subpoena to get these Mm -hmm. documents back. One of the possible consequences here, Poppy and Caitlin, Mm -hmm. uh, is that he could be fined. We have seen that in the past related to the Trump organization.
2: Yeah, it comes after those searches of his properties. It's just amazing. So Caitlin, though, as we're watching to see what's actually going to happen in that courthouse behind you today, we're also learning more about what's happening with the January 6th committee. You know, They're staring down this deadline. They have to make a decision about criminal referrals to the Justice Department. And now we've learned they may be considering more people than we initially believed. What is the latest on
9: that?
24: Right. The count right now is that they were looking at or they are looking at potentially making a criminal referral related to Donald Trump. But there are four others that they are also considering potentially making criminal referrals on. So this is the wind down phase of the House Select Committee investigation into January 6th. And essentially, this is the handoff that they're trying to make to the Justice Department as the Justice Department criminal investigation continues around the 2020 election. Those four people that the House may make criminal referrals on Mark Meadows, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Rudy Giuliani. So, it's four of the closest advisors around Donald Trump wanting to block uh, the turnover of the presidency. Now, they haven't decided yet. And of course, the Justice Department doesn't actually need Congress to tell them who to investigate. Caitlin and Poppy?
2: No, but it could put pressure on them. Caitlin Polans, thank you.
1: Well, Brittany Greiner is home at last, but another American, uh, former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan, was not part of this prisoner swap. Uh, we're going to talk about why and what could possibly get him out with the former defense secretary under President Trump, Mark Asper. He is here in studio.
2: Brittany Greiner now back in the United States, touching down earlier this morning after 10 months of wrongful detention in Russia. The Biden administration is now facing questions, though, as she returns about whether or not the trade was lopsided, a significant compromise here, an athlete who was convicted for having less than a, a, a gram of hash oil in exchange for a notorious arms dealer who was convicted of conspiring to kill Americans. Paul Whelan, a former Marine who has been in Russian custody for four years, was left out of the deal entirely. He remains in Russia, something he says he doesn't understand. We'll talk about whether or not Russia got the better end of the deal here with Mark Esper, the defense secretary under President Trump, and that's really been a big question here, is just how big of a compromise the U.S. was willing to make to get Brittany Griner back home. What is your sense of it?
13: Right. Well, first of all, Caitlin, it's great that she's home. I'm happy for her and her family, but you can't help but be disappointed and, and sad for Paul Whelan and his family. And uh, when you when you lay out, as you did in the lead up here, uh, uh, about boot versus uh, grinder, it just seems like a lopsided deal. And it, it, it doesn't feel good. It feels uh, The wind feels a little hollow here. And you got to wonder, when and how do we get Paul Whelan back? He's been in custody now for nearly four years.
1: And he's a former U.S. Marine. And a former U.S. Marine. We don't leave our no, own behind. The
13: ethos in the United States military is we do not leave our people behind. And that really cuts hard against some of us.
1: How do you – if Victor Boot was not enough, right – to get Paul Whelan home. And that's what we heard Secretary Blinken saying yesterday, is there, you know, there was not a choice of which American to bring home. And we heard the president say it yesterday. He said, for some reason, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, they are holding Whelan to a completely different standard, Russia is, than Greiner. How do you get him home?
13: Well, I've seen reports where they, where we learned a year ago they were willing to give up uh, wheeling for somebody else or for, for Boot. So I don't know. I think there needs to be some more digging about this deal and, and and how it came about and from people who really know how to negotiate with the Russians and find out did we get a good deal? Because right now, again, it feels bittersweet.
2: Well, and that's the question here is also the implications of this. Returning Victor Boot to Russia, we saw him. He already did an interview there. He is this notorious arms dealer. His nickname is the Merchant of Death. Mm-hmm. As we noted, he's convicted by a New York jury of conspiring to kill Americans. Is there a threat to uh, to Americans, to other countries, now that he is back in Russia and he is a free man?
13: Well, that was the second question that came to mind when I heard this news yesterday, the first being, why not Paul Whelan? And the issue is, why now? Why is Putin cutting this deal now? Does he need to appease his far right by bringing home one of their own? Uh, does he need to put Victor boot on a special mission to go back to his own job and find arms and ammunition for the Russian military, which, has, which, which doesn't have much of each as it prosecutes its war in Ukraine? I don't know, but I, I think... I have a lot of curiosity about what's happening there as well.
1: There is um, some concern from senators on both sides of the aisle this morning, both, um, for example, Senator Coons, a Democrat on the Foreign Relations Committee, committee, Senator Rubio on on the Intelligence Committee, over sort of more broadly uh, what we're doing here. Let's play that, and I wonder if you agree with them. Here it is.
0: The more we
16: engage in such exchanges, um, the more Americans are at risk of being scooped up and held as leverage to try and secure the release of... Um, folks who we would rather not have to release. We
14: have to recognize, even as we're happy in Americans coming home, it does incentivize
13: the taking of more Americans around the world.
1: You're nodding. You.
13: Yeah, they, they're absolutely correct. I mean, you put a higher value of premium on Americans. And if you look over the last 10 years, at least, uh, there are nearly three dozen Americans being held uh, illegally by other countries and state-sponsored more so now than compared to 20 years ago. So China, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, others. And the concern is the more you do these swaps, the more you uh, uh, cite this issue, the more you put a premium on Americans' heads. And it's, a, it's an issue for us to be concerned about as a country. But look, on the other hand, if you're in that situation, if it's your loved one that's being held, you want the deal cut. And I got to give a shout out to the Whalen family. I think they've been extraordinarily gracious in all this uh, and, and yet seeing Paul still left in Russia. We couldn't agree more.
2: All of their families, I mean, Trevor Reed was the yeah, same way when right. he came home. Brittany Griner's wife was so gracious yesterday when she was speaking from the White House and the Whelan family has been too. On the larger picture of what's happening here though, if you're looking at this from the war in Ukraine, and watching Putin use his leverage here when it came to Viktor Butts, someone they have desperately tried to get home. You talked about what, what he means to them. There's rumors, of course, that he's tied to Russian intelligence services. Mm-hmm. What do you? What is your takeaway of watching how Putin handled this situation to what he is thinking when it comes yeah. to the war in Ukraine?
13: Well, again, there are all these issues. Is it a way for, for Putin to take home a victory to Russia to show that he's still in charge? He's still this great statesman, if you will. He, he is facing... A, a MULTIPLE STRATEGIC FAILURES WITH REGARD TO THE WAR IN UKRAINE. HE IS NOW FIGHTING A WAR ON TWO FRONTS, ONE IN UKRAINE AND ONE AT HOME. AND I THINK he, we're, WE'RE ENTERING A TOUGH WINTER MONTH a PERIOD HERE COMING UP. IF I WERE UKRAINE, I WOULD PUSH THE OFFENSIVE BECAUSE THE RUSSIANS ARE ON THEIR BACK HEELS. AND I THINK NOW IS THE TIME TO KEEP MOVING FORWARD BECAUSE, LOOK, THE UKRAINIANS CAN WIN THIS FIGHT AND SHOULD WIN THIS FIGHT. AND WE NEED TO do, BE DOING EVERYTHING WE CAN TO HELP THEM.
1: YOU uh, WERE DEFENSE uh, SECRETARY UNDER THE TRUMP ADMINISTRATION. THERE WERE... Significant efforts to get uh, Paul Whelan home during that administration over multiple years. They failed. And I wonder, I know you weren't involved in them directly. You guys are on the back end, right, right. when the deal's made of getting them physically here. But why do you think those failed?
13: I, I don't know. You know, Mike Pompeo put a lot of effort into this as Secretary of State, as did his team. And, um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes the timing's right, sometimes it's not. It depends on a variety of factors. Um, <clears throat> and like you said, my. DOD's role was usually on the back end or hostage rescue. And we had, of course, a hostage rescue that we uh, conducted successfully in the fall of 2020.
1: But you're in those rooms, right? And I just wonder if you think, especially as it pertains yeah, no, to... No,
13: actually, not always. Not uh, always. Yeah. To
1: Putin's mindset. Different than, than now in the middle of this war.
13: Look, uh, he's, he's looking for what benefits him. And, and, and not his country, but what benefits him. And that's why I wonder, why did he do this now? What did he need to deliver back home to the Russian people or to his inner circle or to appease his far right. Because again, he's getting criticism, not just from the liberals, the left in Russia, but from the far right. And it's more intense from the far right. And maybe he's he's questioning his own hold on power. I don't know. It's just interesting.
2: Yeah, it does come as he's faced, you know, those embarrassing setbacks on the field.
13: Right. Absolutely.
2: Former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, thank you for joining us on such an important topic. Thank you both. This morning, Pope Francis
1: breaking down in tears after talking about the suffering of ukrainians amid the russian invasion the pontiff was delivering a traditional prayer in central rome saying quote i would like i would have liked to have brought to you the thanksgiving of the ukrainian people for the peace we've long been asking the lord for when suddenly he was overcome with emotion and unable to speak His voice continued to crack as he resumed his prayer, saying, instead, I still have to present you the supplication of the people that tormented land, which is suffering of that tormented land, which is suffering so much. says a lot.
2: Yeah, it does. Also this morning, an emotional sign off from Trevor Noah. You know, he hosted his last episode and you've got to watch this, who he credits for his incredible success.
25: Some people who watch and i don't like it when you do this but i but i watch i want to say i appreciate those people even the people who hate watched we still got the ratings thank you <laughs> i'm eternally grateful to you
21: and also ahead this morning i promise you there is an erupting volcano behind me here on hawaii's big island but that is part of the story this very quickly changing weather and also major changes in the status of this eruption some are saying it's a good thing. Others are saying, oh, but wait, there is more to come.
1: This morning, a crisis averted, at least for now, as officials say lava spewing from the world's largest active volcano is no longer a threat to the main highway of Hawaii's Big Island. Now people can catch a glimpse of the natural beauty without extreme danger. Or David Culver with the best assignment in television, as more.
21: Seemingly photogenic from every angle, there is a striking beauty to Mauna Loa's eruption, especially as captured by photographer CJ Kale.
17: Volcano is different every single day. Every single time you go, it's always
21: different. CJ driving us to his picture-perfect spot at four in the morning. The best view, he believes, the rising sun greeting the glowing lava. Many hours of sleep sacrificed for just a few minutes of perfect lighting, weather permitting. Yeah, that is, uh, that is super thick. We step out into the cold rain, hoping it'll burn off. As we wait, CJ admits to us he is a particular kind of thrill seeker. A lava junkie,
17: you know, the the, kind of the the term out here, we all call ourselves lava junkie, it's kind of our fix, We, we go on out, it's what gives us our excitement, it's what
21: gives us our adrenaline for the day. This lava junkie has even gone swimming with it, catching these fiery waves in 2018's Kilauea eruption. Is there a range of lava junkie though, those who get a little bit too close and too extreme? My,
17: my group of friends is definitely the far outer limits of that range. I wouldn't
21: recommend pushing it far for everybody. But some are still pushing it. Well, good morning, Don. Yeah, you had If you caught our live report Monday for CNN this morning, you might have noticed this person. Headlamp on, returning from a trek to the lava's edge. Officials have repeatedly warned folks of the dangers getting that close to the flow. Not to mention, it's trespassing.
18: You know, um, you can live caged up and have a pretty boring life, or you can go see for yourself and take the chance.
21: Curtis and Sherry grumbles, perhaps rookie lava junkies hiked five hours round trip over unstable lava rock out to the edge of the flow. They recorded this video about 50 yards from the crawling lava. <laughs> then there are those going to the source of the lava, the expert lava junkies, if you will. USGS scientist in protective gear, collecting samples of the lava and bringing them here. And so
3: we put them in the drying ovens.
21: The University of Hawaii at Hilo is helping run the rapid response lab for the Mauna Loa eruption. We got a rare look inside. These samples collected since the lava started spewing.
3: It was thrown up in the air and landed and was they scooped it up uh, while it was still molten and quenched it. And if you look at it, you'll see it's very, very bubbly, soft, you can like break it in your hands.
21: Carbon and oxygen. Researchers here quickly churning out data to help the USGS chart where the lava flow might be heading, especially as it's inching closer to crossing Saddle Road, a major highway connecting the east and west of the Big Island. They warn the slower pace, deceptive at times. So they
3: might just look like a big wall of hot rock. And it doesn't look like it's moving much, but they can really, they can surge where something, so all of a sudden the front breaks off and lava comes spewing out.
21: Dangerous perhaps, but for C.J. Kale, an eruption is never destructive. At what point did it become destruction? When we put a house in the way? You can't
17: do that. So I lost property during the 2018 eruption. I have many friends that, that lost properties.
21: My mom lost a house down at Kapo'o. We don't view it as loss. We view it as borrowed time. Speaking of time, sun's up, and our view, still this. Does it feel like a washout when you, when you get to this point and, and suddenly there's nothing? Do you feel disappointment?
17: You know, it's it's all part of the journey. If every single time we pulled up, it was absolutely amazing. It wouldn't be as special as it is on the days that it is amazing.
21: I wish we could show you that picture-perfect view at this hour, Poppy, but we've got cold rain that is blocking the volcano and the eruption behind me. As we mentioned, the good news, it has stalled, meaning it's no longer an imminent threat to the highway. But scientists warn, Poppy, this thing could change over a matter of hours, and the eruption is still going.
1: Might have, have to open the Hawaii Bureau, David Culver. Lava <laughs> watch. Thank you, friend. <laughs> Well, a huge, I mean, it's so appropriate that we're in D.C. this morning for this news. A huge shakeup in the Senate just as Democrats were celebrating another, gaining another seat. Ahead, our Jake Tapper joins CNN this morning with his exclusive interview with Senator Kirsten Cinema. More CNN this morning to come after the break.
2: making it even harder to wait for Sunday night. This is like what my life revolves around right now and is I'm watching just White getting Lotus. getting on board. <laughs> we have converted Poppy to be a White Lotus watcher. Don't worry. Every minute that passes, we are now getting one minute closer to finding out what happens in the finale of White Lotus. So Poppy, Don, and I, we had the chance to sit down with Theo James. If you're watching, you know that is Cameron. He's the wealthy businessman who lets loose on vacation in Sicily. And here's what he told us. dude stalking her. We love this show. I mean, we have been talking about it nonstop. The whole show team talks about it regularly, Dissect. It's going to be
6: it. a little weird because he he has an
9: accent, in, but not on the show. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Well, that clip we just watched, I yeah. was thinking of getting that tattooed on my chest. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little lengthy. <laughs> Threesomes of past <laughs> President future. That should be everyone's. <laughs> uh,
2: but this show is so... I mean, it's like a cult favourite immediately yeah. after season one. Season two is already everyone's favourite. But it, it's so interesting because of, you know, the undertones in it. And mm. I wonder what, what stuck out to you as you were shooting it.
9: Yeah, I mean, not, Mike is such a genius at... Uh, Comedy underlaid with social commentary. You know, as you know, you've seen it. He does that really well. This is a little different from the first season. It's it's still about uh, hyper wealth and privilege and what how that morphs people and how they make mistakes as a result of it. Mm-hmm. There's skewed morality, but what I found really interesting about this season was the sexual politics of it and the gender politics of it. You know. Mm-hmm.
6: People will think your your character's an, an ass, right? Mm-hmm. I actually like your character. <laughs> I think oh, people go on. Well, but no, because I think people judge your character from what they saw from the beginning mm-hmm. of the series. And I don't know if that character's gonna end up being that in the at the end of the series. Exactly, yeah. And so and I really don't know. So I I, I say I kind of like your character and I like the, you, you and your wife on the show because, like I said earlier, it works yeah. for you and I'm not going to judge it.
9: Yes, exactly. And I think that's an interesting question that the, the show poses. And for me as an actor as well, I had to find things in Cameron that I liked. As I say, I based him on yes. people I knew, people I'd met. I said, uh, but know, I also had to find bits that I really liked warm. about him. You know, he's, he's, he's warm, boy. fun. Unloving. Uh, he also loves his wife. All those things. But at the same time, as we saw from that clip, he's also a bit of a scumbag. But um, you have to, you have to warm to him in some way uh, to make it as real as possible. Are
2: you going to tell us who dies?
9: <laughs> yes. So <laughs> no, I can't tell you. But all I can say is. Um, it gets bigger it's a friendship and a little and wilder, and the person that you that might one? think it is is not that person. No. Oh. Oh.
6: So, is it? What is it like? Is it? Is it Jennifer? I will ask that. <laughs> yeah. And what is it like working with Jennifer? Because she's so eccentric. She's. I mean, she has the horrific. most unusual.
9: I don't know way uh,
6: yeah. method of acting. I think that yeah,
9: she does. And uh, it was interesting. As an, again, as an actor, to, it's great to be able to see performers, especially ones that you like. I'd like to since Best in Show. She's yeah. and but watching her as a comedian, it's very fascinating because, yeah. as you say, she has a very particular way of delivering lines. But she also is a consumer comedian so she knows how to adjust lines you know in, in with the, with the you know the tiniest modicum like
2: when they're commands. on the yacht and she's like oh did you knit that little hat <laughs> yeah,
9: yeah,
2: yeah. i saw that today, i busted out laughing yeah, so my Uber good. driver's like is everything okay yeah. um,
1: i want to switch gears because well I, I obviously have only seen one season of white lotus and so oh, yeah. one episode <laughs> even more embarrassing Thank you. good fact yeah. check all things to caitlin But then I was like looking into a little bit more about what you do. And when you're not acting, you're like uh, you do a lot of work with the UN, with UNHCR and a lot of work with refugees. Yeah. And there's a Syrian refugee that that you've been working with for a long time. What what does that mean to you and how is it tied to your family's experience?
9: Yeah, I mean, it began um, Syrian civil war, obviously that huge uh, displacement um, of people who then needed help and particularly with the UK, you know, they, and and here at the time, and lots of other places, they there was a xenophobia, there was a fear, and people, you know, they shut their borders, um... And that's frustrating, we all believe in that. But my grandfather uh, is Greek and during uh, the Second World War when the Nazis invaded Athens, he escaped on a boat across the Aegean uh, and ended up safe harbor in Damascus, you know. So he went the other way and that's very recent for us. So it was, I guess I was trying to use that story to remind, you know, even myself that you know, Immigration—it's—it's it's happens all the time, and it's important for culture. But it's also remember how recently your own ancestors were—you know—faced with those problems.
6: Yeah. yeah. We enjoyed having you. We enjoyed watching it's such a great fantastic. series, and you really do a fantastic job. Thank and you. I was just in Sicily this past summer, and it's nice. a—it's a very sexy place, lots of wine, and <laughs> this is, as you said, it's naughty <laughs> in <laughs> your voice, sexy it's naughty. series. It's really good. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thank
26: you.
2: Good morning, everybody. It is December 9th. Welcome to CNN This Morning. Don is off today. We also don't have Theo James here on set, sadly. <laughs> we had so much fun interviewing him. But we do have on the news front two major stories for you this morning. First, there has just been a major shift in the Senate as you are waking up. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema is no longer a Democrat. She has now registered as an independent. She sat down with our Jake Tapper to talk about this big Jake Jake's actually going to join us in just seconds to take about, talk about his takeaways. That's not all. We're also going to ask Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar. What does this mean for her caucus? And she is finally home. Brittany Griner touching down
1: this morning in Texas after being imprisoned in Russia for nearly 10 months. The Biden administration swapping arms dealer Victor Boot for her. But what about American veteran Paul Whelan, who is still imprisoned in Russia? John Kirby joins us this morning from the White House on that.
2: But we'll start with this morning this big news for Capitol Hill. Senator Kirsten Cinema's big announcement. Coming just three days ago uh, after Democrats had been celebrating their new 51-49 majority in the Senate after Raphael Warnock defeated Herschel Walker in that runoff in Georgia. But now, Cinema's announcement that she is a registered independent could have a big impact on the Democrats' legislative agenda. Let's get right to CNN's chief Washington correspondent, Jake Tapper. Jake, we've been talking about this interview all morning. I wonder what your big takeaways, though, were.
4: Well, uh, it's really interesting. Senator Sinema says now she's no longer a Democrat. It's been an interesting journey from her. for her. She started out as a member of the Green Party in the year 2000. Uh, she endorsed uh, and worked for Ralph Nader, tried to get Ralph Nader into the White House. But now uh, that path has continued. She went from Green Party activist to Democratic Congresswoman to Democratic Senator to moderate Democratic Senator that was sometimes a thorn in the side of the Democratic leadership. And now she's an independent. Um, we sat down and talked about her decision uh, just yesterday. You're here to make a significant announcement.
5: I've registered as an Arizona independent. And I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans And people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. So
4: your voting record is pretty, capital D, Democratic. I mean, your views are generally that of a moderate centrist Democrat. How does leaving the party change how you do your job?
5: Well, I don't think anything will change about how I do my job. Um, Arizonans sent me to the United States Senate to be an independent voice for our state, and I'll continue doing that. What I think is important about this decision and, and this move is that I'll be able to show up to work every day as an independent and not be you know, stuck into one party's demands of following without thinking. And and as we've seen in recent years, both parties have created this uh, kind of requirement or a pull towards the edges that you just unthinkingly support all of one party's viewpoints. It's made it difficult to find folks who are willing to work together and solve problems. Now, as you know, Jake, we've been able to do a lot of bipartisan work over the last couple of years, and I'm incredibly proud of that. And I think it's important for folks across my state, and, and frankly across the country, to say, yeah, there's someone there's someone that's kind of like me, doesn't fit neatly into one box or the other, but is standing up for their values, for what they believe in, and is doing it without trying to get one over on the other party or beat the other guy.
4: So let's talk about practically what this means, because you're the chair of at least two subcommittees. You're a member of a number of important committees, including Veterans Affairs. Uh, Does this mean that you're no longer going to be in those positions because you're no longer a Democrat and the Democrats control the Senate?
5: Well, I intend to maintain my position on my committees and keep doing the work that I've been doing for Arizona. So I don't think that things will change in terms of how I operate or the work that I do in the United States Senate.
4: So uh, ever since uh, Raphael Warnock, Senator Warnock was reelected earlier this week, the balance of power right now is 51 Democrats or 51 votes for the Democratic Party. That includes two independents, Angus King of Maine and Bernie Sanders of Vermont, but that's 51-49 what you're doing today doesn't change that? It's still basically going to be 51-49?
5: Well, I know you have to ask that question, Jake, but that's kind of a DC thing to worry about. What I'm really focused on is just making sure that I'm doing what I think comports with my values and the values of Arizonans. So when I come to work each day, it'll be the same. I'm gonna still come to work and hopefully serve on uh, the same committees I've been serving on and continue to work well with my colleagues of both political parties. And I'm not really spending much time worrying about what the mechanics look like for Washington, D.C. And to be honest, Jake, I don't think anyone in Arizona is caring about that either. Um, So I don't think things will change much for me, and I don't think things will change much for Arizonans.
4: It's also an unusual time because the Democrats in Washington feel really good right now. Um, They actually picked up a Senate seat uh, and picked up some governor seats. It's the first time the The party that controls the White House actually gained Senate and governor seats uh, since 1934. Uh, The wave that was supposed to come, the red wave, didn't actually happen. Kevin McCarthy or the Republicans, maybe Kevin McCarthy will be the speaker, but either way, the Republicans will control the House, but not with the margins they were expecting. Um, This is going to disappoint a lot of Democrats, and they're also going to feel like they don't understand. Why would you do this at a time when the Democratic Party is having a good week?
5: Well, I think folks at home in Arizona have known me for a very long time, and they know who I am. I've always been someone who is focused on getting results, getting things done. And I've never fit neatly into any party box. I've never really tried. I don't want to. And I think that's reflective of how most Arizonans live. You know. Arizonans who aren't affiliated with either party are often the largest group of voters in Arizona. And even those who are affiliated with parties often find that they don't fit 100% into that box. The reality is, is that when we get up in the morning, we don't really think about partisanship. Most people don't wake up and think, okay, well, I've you know, gotta get this Democratic breakfast on the table, I gotta get in my Republican car and go to work. That's not how real life is. I, I know it is in this town. But in the rest of the country, people are just living their lives. And so they're not thinking about who's winning and who's losing, but that's what the parties are thinking about, is how do we get one over on this guy? How do we you know, ensure that we're punishing them? How do we continue to win? And what I'm really focused on, and I think the proof is in the pudding of the work I've done in the Senate, I'm really focused on getting results, like actually solving problems. And so, you know, removing myself from the partisan structure, not only is it true to who I am and how I operate, I also think it'll provide a place of belonging for many folks across the state and the country who also are tired of the partisanship.
4: Well, there's gonna be a lot of noise about this from the Democrats, from progressives, from the left. Uh, You know this, um, that um, because of your position working with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia to push back on some of the efforts, the legislative efforts, and and change them and moderate them. You've already been a a target of the left, and people have been very critical of you. They're gonna call you every name in the book after this comes out, they're gonna call you a traitor, they're gonna call you an ingrate, what are you gonna say?
5: Well, I think I'll do what I always do, Jake, which is keep doing the work that I know is important for my state. You know, I, I, I just, not worried about folks who may not like this approach. What I am worried about is continuing to do what's right for my state. And there are folks who certainly don't like my approach. We hear about it a lot, but the proof is in the pudding. You know, in the last few years in the Senate, as you and I have just mentioned, I've been honored to lead historic efforts from infrastructure to gun violence prevention, to protecting religious liberty and helping LGBT families feel secure, to the chips and science bill, to the work we've done on veterans' issues. The list is really long. And so I think that the results speak for themselves. It's OK if some people aren't comfortable with that approach.
2: Jake Tapper is with us. Jake, it's rare to just hear from Sina Yeah, at that length. Like she doesn't do interviews like this. So that's remarkable in and of itself. A cynical, that will look at her answers that she gave to you talking about what life is like in Arizona compared to, you know, here in the Beltway in Washington. But they'll say, you know, this has a lot to do with her running for reelection. What did you think?
4: Um, it is rare. And, and I was actually very grateful. because She gave us a lot of time and we have a we have a much more of this interview that's going to air on the lead today and then on State of the Union on Sunday, uh, talking uh, about her political work, talking about her very humble Uh, uh, upbringing. Um, So I've been thinking about what this actually means, um, because as she said, she doesn't think much is going to change. She's hoping that she will keep her committee assignments. Um, She doesn't really spend a lot of time caucusing with Democrats as it is. She didn't vote to make Chuck Schumer the majority leader last time. So her not doing it again this time isn't really going to have an effect. He's still going to be the Senate uh, Democratic leader. So what does this actually mean if she doesn't think it's really going to change how she votes and it's not going to change uh, how she does her job? I think there are two ways. One is that she no longer will be feeling a sense of obligation to do things because she is a Democrat. Um, In other words, Uh, She won't feel the need to, of course, she has to endorse Joe Biden if he runs for reelection. So it's really about how she feels about the job she's doing and how she feels about whatever sense of obligation the Democratic Party puts on her. That's one. Um, And then two is the idea of her reelection. There's been a lot of noise uh, about her being challenged from the left in a Democratic primary. Uh, Congressman uh, Ruben Gallego uh, a veteran uh, and, a, and somebody who's more progressive has talked for a while about possibly challenging her. Uh, that challenge now goes away, at least in the primary. She, she can't be primaried because she doesn't belong to a political party. Now, does that make her reelection harder or easier? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on whether or not the Democratic Party, puts up a candidate to challenge her. They don't do that uh, to Bernie Sanders, who's an independent from Vermont. I don't believe they do that to Angus King, who's an independent from Maine. Both of those are reliably Democratic votes. Uh, I think she probably will be a little less reliable, a Democratic vote, than Bernie Sanders and Angus King. But generally speaking, her politics are fairly progressive on most issues. Uh, Mm -hmm. So maybe this makes it a little easier for her to be reelected if the Democratic Party doesn't uh, challenge her uh, in Arizona, but but that remains to be seen.
1: Great interview. I can't wait to see more
2: today. Yeah, and, and notable, Jake, what you said there. She, so much. she did not say that she would endorse Biden yep. in 2024. A lot of news in that seven minutes, Tapper. Yep. Thank you. And Thank you, you can watch, as Jake said, the rest of that interview today. It's on the lead at 4 p.m. to see more of that. All right, also this morning, Brittany Griner touching down back on U.S. soil for the first time in 10 months, one day after she was released from Russian detention in a one-for-one prisoner swap that involved the convicted arms dealer, Victor Boot. He's notorious. Griner landed in Texas, her home state, a few hours ago. Her release is being celebrated as a major win for the Biden administration. There are still a lot of questions, though, of what it would take to bring back another American who is still wrongfully detained in Russia, Paul Whelan. He is a former U.S. Marine. He was arrested in Russia on espionage charges in 2018. A senior administration official told CNN the Biden administration has a few ideas about new forms of offers that they're going to try with the Russians in an effort to potentially secure his release. So joining us now is President Biden's National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby. I first just want to start with Brittany Griner, seeing her touchdown this morning, first time in 10 months what have you heard about what she's saying on the flight back? How is she doing and just how she's faring now that she's finally released?
10: We've had a chance to talk to the team uh, that traveled with her and met her on the ground. Uh, they tell us that she was in good spirits, obviously, the whole flight over, good spirits now. She was very incredibly gracious and kind and humble on the flight. Very, very appreciative of the effort to, to get her home. Uh, appears to be in good health, but we're going to make sure. That's why she's going to go to a, a medical treatment facility there in San Antonio and get looked after, Make sure that that uh, that, uh, that we're taking care of her before she rejoins her family.
2: And you talked about this decision. It, it pretty much came together about a week ago. What was President Biden weighing as he was preparing to make the final sign off on this? Because you're turning over a convicted arms dealer in exchange for this WNBA star yeah. who had some minor offense.
10: Yeah, not a, not a decision he took lightly, obviously. Uh, nobody uh, is doing backflips that, that uh, Mr. Boot is back on the street here. Uh, but... Uh the, the deal really kind of came together in the last week or so, and it just became readily apparent to the president and the entire team that it was either make this exchange, get one back. And the only one that they were willing to trade was Britney for Mr. Boot, uh, or get none and leave her there. And I can think we all would agree that no, not even one more day in a penal colony for Brittany was a good outcome. So the president made that tough decision and executed the deal.
2: But Victor Boot is a free man. He was convicted of conspiring to kill Americans. Is, are you concerned that he's a threat to Americans or to any other citizens of other nations? Look,
10: with any kind of exchange like this, we do a national security assessment. And that was the case in, in uh, uh, here with Mr. Boot uh, to take a look at what the risks might be. Um, again, we're going to be vigilant. We're going to watch. He's on the street now. He would have been free in six years. It's not like he was serving a life sentence. And the, thing, the other thing I would tell you is uh, that I think it speaks... Uh, Volumes about our confidence uh, and our comfort in our ability to protect our national security interests that we were uh, able to, to make this deal.
2: But what about concerns about him returning to selling arms? There's a war going on in Ukraine
10: right That's going to be a decision that Mr. Boot has to make. And if he makes that decision, if that's where he wants to go, then the United States will continue to hold him and anybody else that does that kind of thing uh, accountable. Again, I think it, it, it speaks to uh, our understanding of our ability to defend our national interests, that, that the president was able to make this deal.
2: On that front, the Pentagon says that there are concerns that Boot could return to the illicit international arms trade. The uh, official said, quote, I think there is a concern he would return to doing the same kind of work that he's done in the past.
10: Again, a decision that Mr. Boot would have to make. and if he makes But are that you concerned decision, about it? We are always concerned about our national security interests. We're always concerned about actors out there, whether they're Nation states are individuals who would act in a way that would be inimical to our national security interests. And if Mr. Boot chooses that path, then, you know, we will continue to make sure we can hold him accountable. Uh, But we did a national security assessment. The decision was that this was a a trade that we could make at this time. And we got Brittany home.
2: Paul Whelan is still in Russia. He says he doesn't understand why he's still there. His family has been incredibly gracious, as we were just talking. Incredibly courageous. About the release of Brittany Griner. It's been remarkable to see that. Has the president had a chance yet to speak with Paul Whelan directly about his decision-making here? There
10: hasn't been a recent call between the president and and Mr. Whelan. We did speak uh, to Mr. Whelan before the exchange happened so that he heard from us and not from the press that this was happening. And and clearly he's disappointed. We're disappointed. We would have loved nothing more than to get both of them back yesterday or today. Uh, Absolutely wanted that. But it just wasn't going to be possible. The Russians are treating him differently, Caitlin, they put him in a different category um, because of these sham espionage charges. Uh, and just there was no way to uh, to get him into this deal with Mr. Boot. So we are going to keep working on this. Uh, we now have a much better understanding of where the Russians are on, on him. Uh, and so we're going to use that knowledge in that context going forward. We're going to keep at that task.
2: The question, though, there, and this is critical, is who do you have to offer? You don't have another Victor Boot that I'm aware of right now, that is someone that the Russians want so badly?
10: We are in active discussions with the Russians about trying to get Paul home. And I think you can understand, I'm not gonna negotiate in public. So we're looking at our options. Uh, We're gonna keep looking at those options. Um, And when we can get him back, we're gonna do that.
2: Putin clearly is using his leverage here. What are your concerns about how that translates to what he's doing in Ukraine and how he plans to use leverage there?
10: I think a couple of points. First, this negotiation was done separate and distinct from the Ukraine issue. This is part and parcel of our efforts around the world to get Americans that are wrongfully detained, Home, And I think it would be uh, uh, imprudent for people to think, well, you've got you got that done. So that can somehow relate to easing tensions over Ukraine. Mr. Putin has shown no indication of stopping this war in Ukraine, no indication that he's willing to stop uh, targeting civilian infrastructure or killing Ukrainian civilians. So what we're going to do is maintain the pressure on him economically, politically, but also diplomatically. And we're going to make sure that we can continue to support Ukraine on on the battlefield, providing them the security assistance, the weapons, the tools, the ammunition they need to continue this fight. And that's going to happen. It's going to happen in coming days.
2: This was negotiated separately, but it still ties back to this. Do you think that he finally agreed to this deal? Because this was a deal that the administration made over the summer to get a win at home.
10: Again, I can't uh, speak for his intentions. I think it's a dangerous exercise to try to get inside Mr. Putin's uh, head. Uh, They were very clear that they wanted Mr. Boot back. They were also clear that the only one uh, that they would be willing to give up for Mr. Boot was Brittany. And that, again, all that kind of came to fruition and closure uh, in the last week. And, And so that was the deal before us. And that was the deal we took.
2: John Kirby, thanks for joining us to talk about this important decision. My
10: pleasure. Yeah. All
1: right. Senator Kirsten Sinema shaking up the Senate with her decision to switch her party affiliation from Democrat to Independent. We will be joined next by one of her Senate colleagues, Senator Amy Klobuchar. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. We are so glad you're with us live from Washington, D.C. this morning. It's a good thing we're here because Senator Kirsten Sinema just sent shockwaves through the Senate announcing she's no longer a Democrat. She is now a registered independent, an announcement that comes just three days after the party celebrated a little bit of a cushion, a brand-new 51-seat majority. So Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota is with us. You're still a Democrat, right? Just checking. Yes, I am. (laughs)
2: Okay. All right. So more news to break. (laughs) Are you bummed? What do you think?
27: Uh, you know what? I'm still celebrating Raphael Warnock's victory. Okay, Let fine. me make that clear. Number two. Matters. No, no. In terms of the Senate, that victory matters. Center Cinema has always had an independent streak. I don't think I'm telling you anything that's a surprise. Uh, she has worked out agreements um, with Democrats and Republicans on everything from infrastructure to gun safety, along with Chris Murphy and and many others uh, to the recent work she did with Tammy Baldwin and Rob Portman on gay marriage. Um, I know for certain from watching Jake's interview and from reading the political story um, that I don't believe this is going to shake things up quite like everyone thinks. Uh, she has committed to continue uh, voting Uh, for judges that she believes are qualified. She has, of course, voted for Ketanji Brown-Jackson, a number of Biden-appointed judges. Um, She is going to continue to uh, work with us, and she's even you can point to some votes she's taken that were party-line votes with Democrats. We already have two independents in the Senate, and that is Angus King and Bernie Mm -hmm. Sanders. They're different ideologically, but they register as independents. And that's why I don't want to downplay the fact that she is an independent and declared it today, but I want to be honest about the fact that I don't think it's going to greatly change Mm -hmm. the way the Senate is working right now and in any way take away from the victory that Democrats have, because uh, for all sense and purposes, Chuck Schumer is still the majority leader and we will still be able to get a great number of the things done that we want to get done.
2: So you trust that she'll continue to caucus with Democrats and vote with your party? I don't know if she said how she was going to caucus, but I think she
27: did say, I was what I read, she said that she was going to not change how she's been voting on a number of these basic votes that we take every single day. That is really significant because while the big issues get covered. Every single day, we grind through these votes on judicial nominees, on appointments and the like. If she were to say, no, I'm going over Republican, I am not voting with them anymore, that's a whole different thing. That is nowhere near what she said. And she has tended not to go to the caucus meeting, something she said, so I'm not, like, telling something out of school, um, except for rare moments where she's advocating for something she cares about. And that's not going to change either. So I just point out, we have been living with independence. I don't think people think of it that way, but that has been going on for quite a while.
2: It kind of sounds like you're saying you understand her decision.
27: I, having observed her and know her and worked with her on a number of things, It didn't completely surprise me, no, because she has voted independently a number of times and prides herself in that. I think the key is for us in moving legislation, does this change things? So if a Supreme Court nominee opens up, if we had a chance of codifying Roe v. Wade, she's clearly for um, that and reproductive rights. If we move on uh, issues uh, that are ones where we have to find some common ground in the middle. I don't think it's going to change things. All right, it you, may change things with Arizona politics, and that's too quick for me to comment on how that would work right now. I'd have to look at it. But it doesn't change things in the Senate for right. all intents and purposes.
1: You just brought up the Supreme Court, and that is a huge part of being, <laughs> critical part of being a senator is confirming uh, justices. You sat in the Supreme Court for three hours this week as— the uh, justices heard arguments in this case, Moore versus Harper, and I've been obsessed with this case as my <laughs> colleagues on this yes, program know. Yes. Trying to explain it to the American people why it matters—it's wonky, but stick with me. Yes. You wouldn't have gone and spent that time if it didn't matter a lot. You wrote an, uh, a brief mm-hmm. in this in this case. This is about should partisan state legislatures have pretty much unchecked power to control voting and elections in this country that's a little bit of a big deal in this Huge moment deal, poppy but what, what what did you take away from those oral arguments it seems like the justices didn't discount this independent state legislature theory and might find a narrow version of it to apply
27: Well what I saw there was actually compared to other arguments where you can predict what the conservative justices are going to say or ask I thought they were a number of them were highly skeptical. Of this theory and this is a conservative a legislature in north carolina oh i get worried about everything <laughs> with the supreme court it's a conservative legislature that i'd say it's simply unconstitutional power grab they said they didn't have to report at all for any any decisions none of their cases none of their laws have to be reviewed by the state supreme court here's what's unique on this case leading conservative voices like Stephen calabrese ludwig Uh, Ben Ginsburg and all of the chief Supreme Court justices, including liberals and conservatives, united on this to say this is out of whack. This is extreme. So you have a different set of facts going into this case. I thought all the justices questions were good. Um, Clearly, um, to me, Elena Kagan really captured it uh, when she said, look, we have these checks and balances for a reason throughout our system. Sonia Sotomayor said the same thing. Uh, You saw Justice Roberts asking questions. Well, at an extreme, what would this mean? You know, and here's me talking now. Could any state legislature do whatever they want when it comes to elections? And there would be no review by the state Supreme Court. That's why this is so important. We await their decision. I'm pretty good at predicting things. I predict people may be surprised in a good way by the outcome okay, of gotta this. You've got to wait a few months
2: to find out. Yeah. yeah. But can you just distill, though, the implication, if it's not the surprising decision, if it is where the state legislatures can do this?
27: Yes. If it goes their way, if it goes the way of the North Carolina state legislature, it would mean that perhaps electors could be appointed that aren't even consistent uh, with where uh, the uh, with where the people are. It would mean that election laws of any kind could be passed. This is a gerrymandered map that's at stake here, but that the state Supreme Court said was unconstitutional under their laws. It could mean other election laws that the state legislature could just do what they want. It might mean, if in you know, extreme, would you even have to respect the governor's veto? That's why this is so crazy. We have a system of checks and balances in this country. For now. Right now, my view is... For the most part, the Supreme Court has been making decisions that I don't agree with. And the whole idea is the check is supposed to be the Congress and the President. Um, And so the point of this is this one, though, given what I was watching of their questions, this one might surprise you. Okay. Come back in June, okay? I I will see what they. If I am wrong, I will come back and say I'm wrong. If I'm right, you'll say, You protected, I predicted the Affordable Care Act being upheld, the only one in our caucus. Um, And I'm predicting an interesting outcome on this.
2: Yeah, and if you change your party affiliation, let us know. Okay, I I know
27: where to go, but that is not happening. But again, I think it's really important for people to understand uh, Center Cinema has been an independent for all intents and purposes. And I think uh, in a very good interview with Jake Tapper on your network, she explained it.
2: Does it give Manchin more sway, though?
27: I think that uh, every senator has sway when you have 50-51, right? We all need to be a team on some votes, and then some where people are different, you make an agreement, you change a piece of legislation, that's still going to be going on. Senator Manchin will still have uh, power, but so does every single senator, and you would be surprised at things that go back and forth based on other people. They're just maybe not as public.
2: Yeah, some wield it differently than (laughs) others. For sure. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a good weekend. All right, Justin, this morning, a key inflation report on the state of the economy will tell you what it shows and what it means for you. That's next. Also,
1: you want to see this Trevor Noah's emotional goodbye as he ends his run on The Daily Show.
2: All right, we are live in Washington this morning, and Justin, the Labor Department has released a key measure of inflation – so here to break down the numbers is CNN's chief business correspondent, Christine Romans. Christine, what are you seeing in these numbers and what should people know about them? Uh,
26: good morning. This is factory level inflation. So before it gets to the store, this is what producers are paying, the prices they're paying. Still stubbornly high. What I see here, Caitlin and Poppy, is why the Fed has been raising interest rates so aggressively for so long. 7.4 percent is the annual growth in prices uh, for producer level prices and month to month up 0.3 percent. Uh, that second number there is hotter than many economists had hoped to see. When you look at a chart, you can see that peaking that we've been talking about for inflation. Uh, this is off of the 8% that you saw uh, last reading we had on this. But still, guys, it's too high. I'm watching futures tumble here right now, stock index futures. Mm. That's because Wall Street is saying, wow, all this medicine from the Fed and these prices are still stubbornly high, you guys. but oh. What else can they do? Keep raising interest rates. Next week, the Fed is going to raise interest rates, we think, again, by 50 basis points. Not quite as much as it had in the the prior four meetings. But the Fed is still in the midst of its inflation-fighting mission here. So more interest rates are coming. That raises borrowing costs for all of you as the Fed
2: tries to slow demand Mm -hmm. and choke off this inflation. Yeah. Talk about a challenge for Jay Powell. Yeah. Christine Romans, thanks so much for that update. Yeah. Trevor Noah, this video is amazing. He made a tearful goodbye to The Daily Show. He thanked the most important women in his life, and he talked about why their perspective was so important and the difference that it made in his show.
25: If you truly want to learn about America, talk to black women. Yeah, because... Unlike everybody else, black women cannot afford to f*** around and find out. Honestly, most importantly, I'm grateful to you. I don't take it for granted, ever. Every seat that has ever been filled to watch something that I'm doing, I always appreciate because I know the empty seat that sits behind it. So thank you.
1: Wow. After seven years hosting The Daily Show on Comedy Central, Trevor Noah bid an emotional farewell last night thanking his fans. For making it all possible and then this honoring the black women in his life who shaped who he is today watch
25: i've often been credited with you know having these grand ideas of people like oh trevor you're so smart and you're so and then I'm like i'm like who do you think teaches me you know who do you think has shaped me nourished me informed me you know from my mom my grand you know my aunt all these black women in my life but then in america as well if you i always tell people if you truly want to learn about america Talk to black women. Yeah, because unlike everybody else, black women cannot afford to around and find out. Black people understand how hard it is when things go bad, especially in America, but any place where black people exist, whether it's Brazil, whether it's South Africa, wherever it is, when things go bad, Black people know that it gets worse for them, but black women in particular, they know what shit is, genuinely. People will always be shocked, they be like, why do wh- black women turn out the way they do in America? Why do they vote the way, yeah, because they know what happens if things do not go the way it should. They cannot afford to f- around and find out. Do yourself a favor. You truly wanna know what to do or how to do it, or maybe the best way or the most, the most equitable way? Talk to black women. They are they're a lot of the reason that I'm here. And so I'm grateful to them. I'm grateful to every single one of you. This has been an honor. Thank you.
1: How beautiful, how real was that? Joining us now, CNN
19: Senior Entertainment Reporter, our friend Lisa France, Lisa wow. Good morning. Speaking for black women, thank you, Trevor Noah. I mean, it was peak Trevor Noah last night. He called it a wild ride, but it was poignant. It was cheeky. It was funny. And it was just what we needed. I thought it was one of the best endings for a late night show host I've ever seen before. Uh, He really spoke from the heart and people responded to it Um, all over Twitter. There's just been tons of praise for Trevor Noah and already people are missing him.
2: Yeah, it's hard to replace him, I feel like. He's been this iconic voice for so long, and it's hard to stand out. You know, there are so many voices like that. So, you know, talking about real issues, but with such a sense of of wit and humor, and it's kind of hard to think about what it's going to be like in the evenings without his voice.
19: Absolutely. And you know, what's funny is that when he first got the job seven years ago, he was barely known. He had only been a correspondent on the show for a couple months. So people kind of felt like, "Ooh, how is this even going to work? And now we can't imagine the show without him. I interviewed some of the correspondents uh, a couple weeks ago when the show was here in Atlanta. And Roy Wood Jr. said one of the things that he loved about Trevor was after Trevor announced that he was going to be leaving, he said, let's focus on the work. He's always been about making the best show possible. And he's really Really, really gonna be missed.
2: Yeah. I can't wait to see Wanda Sykes guest host though. She's oh, amazing. is that right? She up, is.
8: Oh, it's great.
1: I think Lisa France should, you know. <laughs> Come on, I, get get in there.
19: I mean,
2: from your host. lips
19: to the to the, the big guest. guy's ears. All right. They're watching. <laughs> Lisa, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Four of the best golfers on the planet, including Tiger Woods, facing off tomorrow in the match, that's what it's called on TNT. Who will take home this year's bragging rights? That's next. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. We are live in Washington. We're glad you're with us. Four of the biggest names in golf will be competing under the lights in the Capital One The Match this weekend. Tiger Woods will be teaming up with the world's number one player, Rory McElroy. They will be up against Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas in the 12-hole match tomorrow night. This will be Woods' first competition since July. Let's bring in TNT golf analyst Trevor Immelman. Trevor Immelman, apologies. He is the 2008 Master (laughs) Uh, champion and will be a commentator for the match. This is like a big deal, right? Because it's called (laughs) the match. Kind of cool they're pairing up the greats.
22: Yeah, it's a huge deal and fantastic to see these four guys come together. Like you just touched on there, we haven't seen Tiger Woods compete since the Open in July. He is the biggest name in our sport by far still. So uh, lots of anticipation to see just how he's going to get on and how he's going to team up with the world number one McElroy.
2: What is your sense of who has the advantage here? Because, I mean, these are all amazing golfers. Everyone loves to watch them. But what's your sense of how the pairings look and and how different this is from the PGA and what these matchings, these pairings actually look like?
22: Well, the betting favorites right now, for me, the guys who look the best are Thomas and Spieth. Uh, They paired up so extremely well at the President's Cup just a few months ago and were actually unbeaten in team competition against uh, the internationals. Uh, so they are the favorites going in. They're great buddies. They've known each other extremely well since they were junior golfers competing together. But one thing I've learned through my career being around golf and competing is never count out Tiger Woods. Even though we haven't seen him play for a little yeah. while, uh, he has been working on his game. Just has been struggling uh, with the walking because of the various injuries. He's going to be able to use a cart uh, at the match. So uh, mm-hmm. don't count him out. And... It doesn't hurt to have the world's number one golfer, Rory McIlroy, as your partner. So this is going to be a lot of fun. 12 holes, best ball match play, under the lights uh, in Bel Air, Florida. This this is going to be a great one to watch. Even though I'm totally
1: an expert on all things golf, as Caitlin can tell you (laughs) not, um, I heard something about a different kind of golf ball that Tiger Woods is going to use. Is that right? I didn't even know those exist, by the way, but apparently there are harder ones and softer ones, and what's up with that?
22: Well, you've just given me some insight. I'm heading down there later today. I'll be catching up with all the players, and uh, I'll find out exactly what's going on there. When I was with him last week in the Bahamas, he did not mention testing a new golf ball, so uh, I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled on that and have to report back. I hope I'm not
1: wrong. This is what our smart producers tell me. All right, Trevor, (laughs) thank you. And for all of you watching, you can can catch The Match Saturday, 6 p.m. Eastern on TNT.
2: All right, for many, this time of year, it's about giving back. You know, the holidays are here. in Heroes is this all-star tribute. It salutes 10 extraordinary people who put others first all year long, not just around the holidays. It's a star-studded gala. It airs live this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern. It's really something you don't want to miss. The stories are so incredible.
14: Sunday, it's the time of year to be inspired. And honor some of humanity's best.
15: We have found homes for almost 3,000 dogs.
9: Our community engagement center used to be the community drug house.
25: I want my grandchildren to have it better than what I have it today. It has always wanted to serve other people.
21: Human suffering has no borders. People are people, and love is love.
14: Join Anderson Cooper and Kelly Ripa live as they present the 2022 Hero of the Year. Join me in honoring CNN Hero of the Year. CNN Heroes, an all-star tribute, Sunday at 8.
1: That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com audio or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.
0: Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.